All right, so we're in John chapter 17 this morning, and this chapter right here is uh, what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus is often what it's called. And something that is interesting I want to kind of pay attention the next couple of weeks is, you know, as we get close to Easter, but the uh, big chunk of the Gospels is all really centered around the last week of Jesus's life on this earth. And um, in fact, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 12, it's six days before the Passover, and you got 21 chapters in John. I mean, a, almost a majority of the book of John is all in the last week of Jesus' life, and then plus after the resurrection, because this was a, a key part. And uh, I really want to focus a lot of attention on this time because so much happened in that just that one week that is so important. And here in John chapter 17, I think what we're seeing right here is probably the greatest prayer that was ever prayed. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And this prayer, though, I do believe that this was a necessary prayer that Jesus was praying. This was a prayer that was for us. This, This act that Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? And I don't want to get accused of taking away from the cross, all right? I don't want to take away from the cross at all, but understand what Jesus was doing here was necessary and what it was extremely, extremely important. And I don't think we want to overlook it and take this for granted. And uh, I believe what he is doing here is he is basically, you could in many ways say he's beginning to do his work as the high priest, as our high priest. And what's so amazing, and we're only going to scratch the surface on this subject, but when you study the high priest in the Bible and what they did, I mean, there is no doubt that it is pointing directly to what Jesus Christ did for us on our behalf. There's, there's no doubt about that. And you can't, you can't look in the Old Testament of the high priest and not just see Jesus all over everything. Everything that he did was important. And that high priest, the things that he would do, it counted for the individuals in Israel. For example, you know, that if you were just a regular Joe in Israel, you know, when it came to that uh, uh, atonement, that annual atonement sacrifice they would do, you couldn't do that. Only the high priest could do that, but him doing that would be credited to the people of Israel. And understand what Jesus was about to do, you and I could not have done. Somebody had to do it for us. A sacrifice had to be made for us, and Jesus Christ, this is what's cool, he was the high priest who offers the sacrifice, but you know what else? He was the sacrifice that was offered up too. And we just sang that song, 10,000 Angels, and I don't want to get into tonight, tonight's message. But folks, that, that, that song is so appropriate because understand, nobody took Jesus' life, he laid it down. As the high priest... Jesus laid the sacrifice down himself. And, and that had to be done. All these things had to be done in order to fulfill the law. And so what we are seeing going on right here, I think we take it for granted as New Testament Christians because we were never under that Old Testament, uh, you know, in that Old Testament times. We never had to deal with these things. But understand these things were important to God and they mattered. Every detail of these things mattered. And so when Jesus Christ is here and he's praying for us in the garden, we need to understand that this directly applies to us. Jesus Christ is doing this for us. We needed, we had to have a high priest. And I, and, and you know, I'm trying not to get sidetracked here. I'm, I'm anxious to get to this chapter. 
But, you know, people often ask about the prayer. You know, you know do you have to pray to get saved? Does, do you have, does there have to be a prayer? And, you know, what if I don't say the words right? Well, let me tell you something. I do believe you have to call on the Lord for salvation. But what if you don't say it exactly right? Well, thankfully, there's a high priest that said a prayer for you. And if you're believing in that high priest, you might have mangled your prayer something awful. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ, he said a prayer for you, and you're going to be okay if you're trusting in him. If in your heart you're believing on him, I don't care how bad your prayer was. You are going to be okay. All the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when thou goest into thy kingdom. Now, that wasn't much of a prayer. That's not going to get anybody shouting at a camp meeting, a prayer like that. I don't, know, I don't think he had any vibrato to his voice or anything like that. I think he just, he just said it. And I don't think that's good enough. But you know what? This prayer is good enough right here that Jesus prays. And so it's just amazing. Jesus did everything himself. He, he did it all. He became a man. He became the high priest. He became the sacrifice for sin. And because of this, he has been exalted. He's been given a name that's above every name. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And it's all as a result of what he did on earth. All those titles that we give Jesus Christ, these are titles that he didn't just get because he was God. These are titles that he earned because of what he did on earth as a man. And that's why he is worthy of all honor and glory that we can give. So in this message, we go through, I want to show just some of the legal, you could say, and spiritual significance of what Jesus prayed. And it's important because our prayers too, there are, our prayers are often all over the place. They're often very empty, but that was not the case with this prayer. This is, I think without a doubt, the most powerful prayer in all of history. And it says, so let's go ahead and start reading in verse one. It says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. The 33 years that Jesus' life was all about what began in the Garden of Gethsemane. What Jesus started that night, that he started with a prayer, okay, that all of this, he was beginning to do his work as the high priest. And so understand, too, tonight we're going to look at the arrest of Jesus Christ, the arrest and the trial of Jesus Christ. Understand his arrest and trial. I'm going to show you this from the scripture. This was him still doing the work of the high priest because this is him laying his life down. This is him offering himself up. And then when he's on the cross, that's when he's actually being sacrificed. That's when he's actually paying for sins. And so this is a major, major thing that is beginning with this prayer in the garden. The, the Gospel of John does not record this, but when Jesus was doing this, he was in great agony to where he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. This was a, this was a very important thing. And we see in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And Jesus Christ was tempted. This was a great temptation for him. Drinking that cup of sin was repulsive. 
to Jesus Christ because he was holy. There was no sin in him. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was divine. And taking on that cup of sin, becoming sin for us was something that was a dreadful, dreadful thought. And it was something that he did in obedience to God the Father. God told him to do it. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, not my will, but thine be done. This was God's will for him to do this. He did this on our behalf. He he's faced this temptation and he succeeded. And it says in Luke twenty two forty two, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel from heaven unto him, unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You know, often when we pray, we pray and it's empty. We don't, we don't even feel anything. We're just going through the motions. But let me tell you something. When Jesus prayed, he, he felt this prayer. He meant this prayer. This was something that was very extreme, that was very deep. And the book of Hebrews is full of just great connections between the Old Testament practices of the high priest and what Jesus did on earth. In Hebrews 9, 6, it says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year. And that's interesting too, because everything Jesus did, he did alone. Even when he prayed in the garden, his disciples, he told them to watch and pray for him. They couldn't even do that. They kept falling asleep. When Jesus was taken by the soldiers, everyone forsook him. He was on his own. He did all this by himself. And, and, and folks, I noticed something too in that arrest of Jesus I never noticed before. That frankly, I think is kind of exciting. When you see that arrest of Jesus and that walk of shame he took, I can't wait to preach on that. I got, I got, I got to do this sermon first though, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to talk about that. It says, the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And again, that's significant. All these things he did, it was for us. It was on our behalf. Someone had to do all these things for us. That's what a high priest does. Now, as Baptists, we take this for granted because we believe in the priesthood of the believer today, don't we? We believe that you all as individuals have direct access to God through and with Jesus Christ being the only mediator. Jesus Christ is that. You can have a relationship with God all by yourself without an earthly priest, but you need to understand the only reason you can do that is because Jesus Christ is your high priest and he did some things for you. So there's not a bunch of stuff that you've got to do to make yourself ready. You can boldly approach the throne because Jesus did something on your behalf. Nobody goes to the Father just unclean. Nobody can do, nobody can do that. Somebody's got to go and offer up a sacrifice that's acceptable to him 
before anyone can approach him. And yet we can approach God boldly today, but never forget it's because a high priest went and offered a sacrifice for us. And that high priest was Jesus Christ and that sacrifice was himself. And that's why you're not getting to God without Jesus Christ. Okay? The Jews are on their way to hell. The Muslims are on their way to hell. Anybody who, who teaches you know, about God but leaves Jesus Christ out of the equation is on their way to hell. You have to have Jesus Christ. And so let's look at verse 2. So Christ's ministry, it's an interesting thing too, it started with a temptation and it ended with a temptation, didn't it? When after he was baptized, what does he do? First thing, he goes up in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted of the devil. And then it ends with him going to the garden, being tempted in the garden. And you know what? Jesus Christ, he never messed up, did he? He never gave in. Not like us. Not like us. And thankfully, he he made up for our sins for us. And thank God for that. So verse three or 2 says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many... As thou hast given him the miracle, so the miracles that Jesus did, they testified of the the power and the authority that God had given him. Jesus Christ revealed; He showed His power while He's on earth. That's why we see so much about the miracles that Jesus did. We read about a lot of miracles. We've been as we've been going through Mark, we've been reading about all these miracles. These were showing that he had power and authority to give eternal life. Jesus didn't just come and say, hey, I have eternal life, and then just expect people to blindly follow. He displayed his power. He showed that he had the authority. God gave them that so people would believe him. So it says in verse 3, And this life, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So what he was bringing... And what he came for was to give eternal life. And folks, it's clear right here, that gift, that life comes through believing on Christ. He didn't say, I'm here to, uh, you know, gain servants. You know, he, he, that's not what he said. I'm here to give eternal life. Jesus is offering himself for man, and it comes through believing him. And so in verse 4 says, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now notice the statement, I have finished the work. Now if we interpret the Bible like a lot of people do when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, we got a problem right here. Because some of y'all think Jesus had to go to the cross. Right here he says that I finished. You're, you're making a liar out of Jesus. No, you are a proof texter. You isolate scriptures so you can teach dumb stuff. You know, that, that, that's, what, that's what you do. When Jesus is saying I finished the work, he doesn't mean he doesn't need to go to the cross. He is referring to the work of spreading the gospel to Israel before his death. Understand that ministry that Jesus had for three years while they're going from city to city telling everyone this was also something that was required. And I don't have time to go into all the reasons for that, but because he is, he's coming for Israel and he's preparing them to, you know, they're preparing them to receive the Messiah. He did his part. He did his part. Now, did everybody in Israel accept him? No, they didn't. But understand, Jesus Christ did his part. He finished the work. There was no excuse for people not to be believing on him. So this is referring to the work of spreading the gospel before his death. So uh, he still needed to go to the cross. And just like after he died on the cross, or right before he died on the cross, he said it is finished, he still had to be dead for three days and rise again. So don't let people do weird stuff with the Bible to prove a dumb point. So verse 5 says, And now, O Father, 
Glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So Jesus Christ, he is the one who created the world. We see that in Hebrews. And just as he did a great work then, Jesus is about to do another great work with the help of God. Jesus Christ is about to bring salvation to the world. That is a very great thing. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all are all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. So Jesus right here is specific, and this is important too. He's he's praying specifically for those who have already been saved, for all those who have received it. Now, a little bit later, he's going to pray for those who are going to get saved. But this is important too, because in and man in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 9 specifically, the Calvinists, they butcher Hebrews 9. And you know what they also butcher? They butcher John chapter 17. And it's because they don't understand the role of the high priest. They don't understand what Jesus was doing. And Hebrews 9 is making it clear what Hebrews 9 is all about. They want to focus on the one verse that said how he died for many. And then prove that he didn't die for everybody. But understand, that work of the high priest, it was for a specific people. And when so when Jesus Christ died, when he did that work of the high priest, it took care of all those who were of faith before the cross. Okay? It saved all of them, but it was also good for all those who get saved after the cross because it's, it's a one-and-done thing. It was a once-for-all sacrifice that he did. And so understand, the only people who are going to benefit from the work of the high priest are those who believe on him. You understand that? So when Jesus Christ is doing his high priestly prayer of praying for those that God has given him, that is not an exclusion of a group of people from the world. No, he's doing the role of high priest and doing the work for those who believe on him. There's still an open invitation given by God for all to believe and to all accept Jesus as the high priest. And so for anybody that's out there, if they will believe that, you know what, that high priestly prayer that Jesus did will include you. These things are not an exclusion, but those words were specific because of what he was doing as a high priest. And I wish I had time to go through Hebrews 9. We don't. I want to stay here in John chapter 17. But don't let the Calvinists butcher that passage. You you need to read Hebrews chapter 9 uh, and John 17 together. And you might need to read some Old Testament. You might have to study a little bit. I know a lot of people don't want to do that. But understand, you know, when we're, we're talking about this role of the high priest, you and I have never had an earthly high priest. So some of this stuff's going to go over our head. But we need, but the, we need to study these things so we can understand that way too. Some Calvinist isn't going to come along and then try to refute John 3.16, you know, with it. And all the verses that are, are very clear. This is, this is dealing with something very specific. So verse 11 says, and now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So Jesus Christ is about to leave the world, 
And he's praying that they will be united together. You know what? Christians need each other. Christians need each other. And this is why we have church. This is why we assemble together. This is why the Bible says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The church is a very important thing. If there were no churches, I do not believe things will would continue. If Christianity were to turn to just individuals just doing their own thing, I do believe that we would eventually die out. Oh, I don't go to church, but I'm a soul winner, so I'm reproducing. Yeah, but the problem is none of those people that you're getting saved are getting anybody else saved. That, that's, that's the problem right there. And if we're not reproducing, okay, and, other, and if we're not getting people that we get saved to go get somebody else saved too, eventually it's going to die out. And that's why we have church, so we can grow, so we can exhort one another, because we want this thing to keep going and understand, I, I don't, I believe if there were not a church, if there were not an assembly of believers, if that was not being practiced throughout the years, I believe that Christianity would die out. But it won't die out. You know why? Because the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against the church. There will always be churches around preaching the truth. And God bless these individuals that are trying to get people saved, but are disobedient to God and won't get their sorry carcasses in a church. But just understand, great, I'm glad you're doing that one good thing, but stop ignoring these other things. Get your stinking carcass in a church. You need to get in a church. You need to be united. Why can't you unite with anybody? What's wrong with you? There's, there's something wrong with that kind of Christian. I scratch my head about these people and understand you're not going to keep us preserved. It's going to be people that are in the church. It's going to be churches that keep this thing preserved, that keep this thing going. If you, and I know I'm preaching the choir because you're all here today, but if you're not a part of a church, you're not right with God. I don't care about your exceptions. Hey, do something about it. All right? Do something. Do whatever you got to do to be obedient to what to the scriptures. Oh, the, 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 the pastor said repent of sins. Well, you, know, you know what? Learn how to deal with people. Learn how to deal with things. Yeah, his terminology isn't as good as yours. Is get over yourself. You stink. And I'm, I, I'm I'm sick of these people. I, I'm just absolutely sick of them. They don't realize just how important. And then the thing is, too, man, all these people who don't go to church, they want to run their mouth and cause division in churches. These people are doing everything they can to stop Christianity. If you ask me, I think the soul winning is just a front. Just to make you look like you're legit. I want to see some of your fruit. I want to see somebody doing something for the Lord that you've gotten saved. I want to see that. But it's not going to happen because they won't get into church. They won't be obedient. I'm not saying they've never got anybody saved, but sometimes I wonder with some of these things. Can't inspect any of their fruit. But verse 12 says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And Judas, of course, he was never saved. He wasn't, you know, so he wasn't going to make it. But all the other disciples, they were, and they were secure. They were already secure. They weren't going anywhere. They weren't going to lose their salvation, even though Peter was going to deny Jesus three times later. He, was, he wasn't going to lose his salvation. It says, now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Christ is joyful when his soul is saved because he knows it will never, you know, they'll never, he'll never lose them. But you know what? We have that same joy today because of what Jesus taught them. 
what Jesus taught us. And we don't want, we don't want to forget these things. He wants that joy that he has fulfilled in us. He wants it to be something that spreads. And so we do. We are, so Jesus knows we're saved. Okay. Once you get saved, understand Jesus knows you're saved and he's joyful as a result of it. But you know what? God wants us to be joyful too. God doesn't want, God doesn't want Christians sitting around wondering if they're saved. Do you know salvation is not complicated? And if you go to one of these churches where people are teaching you, you making you wonder if you're saved all the time, they're not doing God a service. God wants your joy to be full. He wants you to know you're saved. And when you have to get saved 47 times and you're still doubting, that that's not what God wants. Something's wrong with that kind of teaching. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a shame when we see that kind of thing. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Newsflash, we're never going to fit in. That's why we don't worry about being hip and trendy. Even if we did put on the hip and trendy act and we made our church look like a bar and I dressed like a homo and did all the things that you're supposed to do today. Okay, understand, if I actually preach the truth, I'm going to run them off. And you know what? That's why everybody who goes trendy quits preaching the truth. That's that's why. Hey, you're not... because. When you start doing these things, it shows you're trying to be of the world. But the problem is we are not. This message is not of the world. And so you are not going to be able to preach the truth without running those same people off. The very people they're catering to with all how they dress and their decorations, all these things, they're going to run off if they preach the truth. And that's why the truth always goes with it. That's why they can't hang on to their King James Bible. That's why they're losing these good doctrinal songs we have and just going to the lame, sensual, breathy, contemporary junk. That's why. Because they're trying to fit in with the world. And you know what? Go ahead. You can fit in with you want, but you're going to lose the message. You have to. And it always happens. Never, it just, it never fails. And so he says in verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God and truth sets us apart from the world. We can't go along with their lies. We can't get on board with this evolution stuff. I'm sorry, we just can't do it. We can't get on board with killing babies. We can't get on board with the feminism and the immorality and the homosexuality. We can't get on board with that stuff because we stand for truth. And if we don't, if we don't get on board with that stuff, we're never going to be accepted by these people. But you know what? We're to be sanctified by the truth. God's word is truth. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to put us on the outs of the world. Oh, well, we weren't called to be a part of this world. We were called to be a light in this world. And people are going to try to put it out. So just, you know, we're going to continue being hated, folks. I promise our popularity rating is not going to go up anytime soon. Not if we keep preaching this stuff. It says, thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So we have a mission, and it's to spread the truth, and we have all power and authority backing us up. Jesus gave it to us at the Great Commission. And it says, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So who we are, our position with God is 100% because of what Jesus Christ did. At the end of the day, 
You can go ahead and try and you can you can make a personal choice to sanctify yourself and give your life to God and to serve him, but that won't get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is the sanctifying that Jesus did for you when he saved you and he washed you from your sins in his own blood. Without that, we will uh, we would never be saved. So verse 20 says, neither pray I for these alone, these that have, he already had, those that were already his. This prayer is not just for them, just like the sacrifice that Jesus made was not just for the people of that day. It was once for all, for all those who would believe after. And it says, neither pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You know why? Because they wouldn't spread the gospel. None of us have met Jesus. You know, he, uh, we didn't walk the earth with him, but we heard the message from somebody who heard the message from somebody who heard the message who heard it from Jesus. And therefore, we are, we were able to be saved. And he said that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So this prayer wasn't just for those who had already been saved, but for those who would be saved. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. And one of these days, folks, we are going to be just like Christ. We're not there today. First John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Well, what if I don't do a good enough job? Well, if you don't do a good enough job, thankfully Jesus did do a good enough job. Your purifying of yourself, you do, that's just a testimony of the hope that you have. That, that's what that is, and that's why we try to live godly. We're not trying to take credit for our salvation. We're just trying to be like Christ, because we believe we will be like him one of these days. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And so the main reason I believe I'm going to heaven, it's not just because I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to save me, but because Jesus prayed a prayer, asking God to let me go to heaven with him. That's what he's doing right here. Jesus in this prayer is asking God you know, to allow us to be with him. So, you know, I'm not going to go to heaven just because I asked. I'm going to go to heaven because I believed on someone who asked God for me. And have you ever seen that before where uh, kids will try to maybe get their younger brother or sister to ask something for them? Because they think that, you know, mom and dad will be more likely to say yes to them. Anybody ever seen that done before your kids do anything like that? You know, and that's kind of what we do. You know, we go to Jesus Christ because, folks, if we go to the Father and our sinful condition, we're getting turned away. If we bring our offering, it's going to get shot down just like Cain's offering was shot down. But if Jesus goes on our behalf, you know what? We're in. We're good. 
because God's going to give Jesus whatever he asks for. You know why? Because Jesus is a good son. He's that only only begotten son of God. He is that beloved son in whom God is well pleased. Jesus did everything that we could not do. And so, again, everything that we get from God, we get it through Jesus Christ. You know what that's called? That's called him being an intercessor or a high priest. That's what your that's what your child is doing when they send somebody else to ask for them. They're using them as an intercessor. And sometimes it works with us, sometimes it doesn't. When you go through Jesus Christ to get to God, it always works. And again, that's that is why salvation is through believing on Christ. We're making him our intercessor. We're making him our high priest. When you go and you think, well, you know what? I, I'm going to go into the, I'm going to go into the holy of holies with the high priest. You know what that's called? That's called work salvation. That's called now I'm going to believe I'm going to trust in Christ and I'm going to do my own works too. Listen, the high priest he said in Hebrews it went in they went in by themselves every year. Jesus paid for the sins of man by himself. When you come along and you're like, well, I'm going to believe on Jesus and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get baptized and I'm going to do all these things. You're going into the Holy of Holies with the high priest. You're not allowed to do that. That is not what God prescribed. When God gave that law for that that uh, atonement offering, that annual offering, only the high priest was allowed to go in. If he'd ever tried bringing a guest along, they probably both would have died if he'd have done anything like that. And let me tell you something. A lot of people, they think they're going to go crash into the Holy of Holies with Jesus Christ they do that whenever they add their works to their salvation, God's going to throw them into hell when they do that because it's not acceptable. Salvation is through but faith in Christ, believing on Christ. That's what it means to be a high priest. And that's why it's so important to study those things in the Old Testament. It puts it all in perspective. You know, some people, they have this attitude, and it's like they are, they're hardcore, and it's the believe on Christ thing. But their conviction behind it is their favorite preacher says that. Their conviction behind it is this is what my group says, this is what we do, everybody else that doesn't feel this way is going to hell. But at the same time, they don't understand it. They have no understanding of this at all. And they, they, they can't put these things together. They don't see this stuff. You know why? Because it's, it's not even a heart knowledge with them. It's just a head knowledge that they're repeating and and it just it just makes jerks out of them. And the truth is, if you understand that, wait a minute, no, this is just this is about believing and just about trusting in Christ. He's our high priest. He did everything right because of all the things that we do wrong. We can't even pray like we're supposed to. We can't do anything like we're supposed to do. And if a person is trusting in Jesus Christ, even if they have some issues still, let me tell you something. As the high priest, he took care of that. And they might not always say things right. But if Jesus Christ is their high priest, if, they, if they're believing on him, trusting him for that, they're saved, folks. That's all there is to it. And if people would actually study these things out, you know, they, they would understand you know, how these things work and what it actually means to believe in Christ. They can, anybody can say those words, I believe on Christ. Anybody can say that. But not everybody knows what that means. It's like they have no understanding of it at all. And I think that's a shame. I, I, I question that. So, because I said, I don't always know how to pray, but Jesus does. And so he says in verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known 
that thou hast sent me. And so these are those who believe that he's talking about. Those, those who are saved. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. So thanks to what Jesus went and did on the cross, we have salvation. Our high priest prayed to the Father for us. He was our meteor. Mediator, He made intercession on our behalf. He prayed to God for us. And then not only did he do all that work of the high priest, but then he was also the sacrifice. And again, according to the law, it's the high priest that's supposed to kill the sacrifice. And you know what? That is, that's true. The high priest has to kill the sacrifice. And we're going to see it tonight at Jesus' rest over and over in all the Gospels. The one thing that he would constantly say and remind these people of is, you're not taking my life. I'm laying it down. Jesus made that very clear. When you look at the words of Jesus in his arrest, it's there is no doubt about it, and he proved it at his arrest, that this was Jesus Christ offering himself up. Yeah, they brought a multitude of soldiers out to come get him, but let me tell you, at the end of the day, Jesus proved to them, I'm going, I'm going by myself. I'm going on my own. I'm letting you take me. I'm letting you put me on trial. I'm letting you beat me. I'm letting you nail me to the cross. Most of us can't do that. We, we can't let, I mean, we, we have to be strapped, we have to be strapped down to have just a little surgery done on us. You got to get a shot of Novocaine or something just for them to work on your mouth or on your teeth or, or to give you stitches. Because if we didn't, what would we do? We'd pull away. We'd fight him. That, that's what we would do. Jesus let him nail him to a cross. And he hung there with the power to stop it at any time. And he didn't do it. You know why? Because the high priest has to lay that, kill that sacrifice. And so Jesus and him allowing them to do all those things was him fulfilling that role. And all of these things are so important. And so I wanted to share this with you because I do, I think we need to really, you know, I think we should always keep these things in mind. They help us understand salvation. Uh, they help us to appreciate Jesus Christ and what he did, but especially this time of year, as we get close to celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to think about those last, that last week of Jesus life and all that went on and all that he did. It, it meant, means everything to us. It is why we are here it is why we have eternal life, and we don't ever we should we don't ever want to get over it. So, with that, let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for what you did, Lord. We thank you for that prayer that you prayed, Lord. I don't I don't think we'll ever understand the significance fully of what you did for us in the garden that night, and what you allowed to be done to you. After that, but Lord, uh, we see it in your word, and I just pray that it will uh, convict us, Lord, and I pray that it will uh, just uh, bring us joy to know that beyond any shadow of a doubt, we can be 100% positive we're going to heaven because anywhere where we might have messed up, Lord, uh, at the end of the day, you were the high priest and you did these things for us, and so I pray you'll help us to uh, do a good job of spreading this message, getting folks to stop believing and trusting in their own works, but to just believe and trust in you for their salvation. In your name we pray. Amen.